remain standing with me at this time. And if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. I'll give you a second to turn there with me. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. It's the greatest story ever told. This is the story of some of the Christ's uh, female followers going to check on his grave after he was crucified, and they experienced what has forever changed the world and what we're focusing on this morning. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, as always, it'll be up on the screen behind me. It says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Our whole destiny changes right here. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man, which was Jesus, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. May God bless the reading of this word. Please be seated at this time. Well, happy Easter, church. Man, you guys look amazing. Don't worry, I'm going to take a Facebook photo before we're done here. I'm got my iPhone on me, so I'm ready. And as you've probably figured out by now, um, by feeling the energy in the room this morning or Maybe you hopped on to to Facebook and everyone's like, he is risen, he is risen, he is risen, he is risen. And in a weird way, it's kind of like what it might have been 2,000 years ago when word began to spread that Christ was risen from the grave because people sensed that something powerful was happening in this moment. Today is not a normal day. Today is Easter It's the moment where we as a church celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we should be encouraged as a people that the day that is probably the most um, well attended in church is the day in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I think we should be encouraged because I think it shows we have good theology that truly the main thing this morning is the main thing and the main thing that we celebrate. And yet seeing the magnitude that Christ was crucified, you know, that the cross in which he was crucified, that the cross is the most recognizable symbol in the history of the world. And that's where he died. 
And yet the story doesn't end there. They say that he rose forever conquering sin and death and proving who he was. And because of the magnitude of this moment and what is happening, we as a church, as White Oak, are responding to the wonder of this by beginning a brand new series this morning entitled A New Normal. And the main idea of this series, which begins today and will go for the next uh, five weeks, is that um, most of us want to change our life, and yet the problem is we don't often change our normal or what is common in our life. And because we don't change our normal, we ultimately don't change our life. And yet we believe that if the resurrection is true, that all of us need to be changing a lot because we have been pulled out of our sin, out of our darkness, out of our pain, and into a brand new life. And if we've been brought into a brand new life, then what this means is that the way that we live must be radically different. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at the resurrection. This morning, we're going to focus on faith. We're going to dig into that idea this morning, and I, I know it's going to bless you and help you. In the following weeks, we're going to look at how you get to know God, how you make the church your family. We're even going to have a sermon on how do we connect the pieces of our life to our faith that feel like they have nothing to do with our faith. I get that question a lot, right? How do I brush my teeth to the glory of God, right? Someone actually asked me that question one time. And we're going to answer that question too. But the title this morning is simply a new normal because the problem is is that most of us, unfortunately, spend most of our life trying to be normal and fit in. And I couldn't think of a better way to explain this than to show this picture right here. Um, This uh, picture uh, blew up on the internet. It's really popular. It says, in a world of princesses, dare to be a Batman. And so it's a bunch of little girls in princess outfits, and this kid rocks solid in his confidence that he is Batman, and that is way better than being a princess, and I would agree with that. You see, nothing kills your creativity in life and your calling and what God wants for you quicker than just trying to fit in with the world and fit in with what's normal. We often talk about here that if we want to change our lives, we have to go to God. If you want to change your life, you can't even come to me because I'm a sinner. I've got issues just like you. All your friends that you try to imitate, all the people you're trying to keep up with, right, they're, they're broken just like you. You see, some of us, we're just better at hiding it. That's the only difference, right? Some of us are an open book, and others of us were too prideful to show the brokenness and the issues that we have. You see, the definition of normal is conforming to the standard or the common type. N- usual, not abnormal, regular, natural. You see, the problem is, is everyone's trying to be normal. Everyone's trying to fit in. Nobody wants to stand out in this world, and yet there's a big problem with that. Normal in our world is not good, and it's not even something you'd want to be. Let me, let me show you, right? I'm not making this up, right? Let me give you some statistics, right? And I pulled this from, like, five different sources, okay? So that I'm not just, like, I didn't just get one study that fit what I was saying. I five different sources, okay? Forbes magazine, and it's, y'all are going to like this. Forbes magazine said over half of Americans are unhappy with their job. Say amen if that's you. Yeah. I can't say amen to that, right? I can't say amen to that because I'm a preacher. So I like like my job. I do. Huffington Post, different source, said that only one in three Americans are happy and that happiness decreases with age statistically. So normal is not happy. 
not satisfied with life, and normal is getting more grumpy as you age. That's the statistics, right? It's not me. Facts are friends, right? The Bureau of Labor Statistics said that in 2013, a few years back, only 25% of people said they volunteered at a charitable organization at least once that year. So they asked a, a big sample size of people, have you volunteered at a charitable organization just one time this year? And only 25% of people could say yes. And this is my favorite one right here. Michigan State University said, based upon diet, exercise, sleep, and weight control, only 3% of Americans are living a healthy lifestyle. So like the body that we've been given, we often don't use it, we don't take care of it, and it is normal in our world to not treat it right. So, so based upon all these stats, and, and you already know this, right? I don't have to like confirm this for you, but based upon these stats, normal is dissatisfied in life, unhappy with your job, not charitable, and unhealthy. And we're all trying to be normal. We're all trying to fit in. And the wonder of the resurrection is it's a restart for you. It's a whole new life. The Bible says you're a new creation, and we hear that and we, we nod at that. But, like, you're, you're a new creation. You are a new, eternal creation. And yet what I want to talk to you about this morning is that if you're going to have the restart you want in life, if you're going to create a new normal, there's only one place you can begin, and that is at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My prayer today is that you don't just look at the resurrection and say, man, that's really cool. Let's change the world. And, and I want you to think that Jesus is awesome, and I want you to think that he's glorious, but I want you to see in the resurrection what this means for you. So let's, let's restart your life right now, and let's begin in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Let's look at that one more time. Read that with me. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So these women were going to the tomb, but they were not going with expectation, were they? They weren't like, hey, he said he was going to rise. Let's go see if he did. I bet he did. That's, that's not what they were saying. They went depressed. They went to pay homage to their leader who, confusingly enough, they, they did believe was God, and yet they still thought that death was the end of him. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But they're just showing up to pay homage. They're not living with expectation of what God might do. Is that you this morning? Do you live with expectation as to what God might do in your life, what he has for you? Or do we just constantly doubt his goodness? Verse 3, it says, But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Everything changes here. This makes Jesus different. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These are angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He tells the women, Don't you know who Jesus is? Don't you know he's God? Don't you know he's your king? Don't you know that he said he would never leave you and never forsake you? Do you know that this morning? Have you forgotten? Do, do you know that Jesus said he will never leave you? He will never forsake you? He will, he will never leave you in the pit of despair, the pit of brokenness, and the pit of pain? 
He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember, he says, how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. He said this would happen. And then they remembered his words. That's our goal this morning, to remember the words of Jesus. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But, of course, to the apostles, the stupid apostles, right? They're just, just always messing it up, right? Falling asleep when Jesus told them to pray, you know, like not believe in him. Just the apostles, you know. The, the dumpster fire apostles, right? That, that, that's what they were. I love, that for, I love dumpster fire, right? But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They're like, whatever. And they did not believe them. But Peter, good old Peter, right, crazy Peter, rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. If you get one thing this morning, this is what I want you to get. The resurrection shows that Jesus is gloriously abnormal. You see, what it means to be abnormal is to deviate from what is normal, deviate from what is common, most people who die do not raise, rise, in case you didn't know that. Most people that die don't rise, like immediately. And we mourn this, and this, this is sad to us, right? There's people that we miss because they died, and in that moment, they, they did not rise. And yet Jesus is utterly different, and we need to know this. You see, the skeptic looks at this and says, I find it hard to believe in Jesus because I'm not familiar with people rising from the dead. The skeptic is often fine with the teaching of Jesus. They're like, okay, he was a good moral teacher, right? The skeptic can come to terms with the fact that Jesus was historically influential. They can understand that. However, the skeptic is limited by his own experience because in the skeptic's eyes, if he is not familiar with something, then surely it's probably unlikely. And what I've never understood is even people that would say, I don't believe in God, I believe in, you know, the Big Bang. And I mean, to me, even the thought that everything would come from nothing. I mean, we're all banking on some kind of faith here, aren't we? Is it likely that something comes from nothing and that that something includes the Rocky Mountains and the Grand Canyon? And the wondrous universe, is that likely? But it happened. You see, the skeptic refuses to only consider things inside their own experience, and they will be a prisoner to their own experience their whole life. And if they have no hope in their life, then they have no hope. They will forever be stuck in their own understanding, and forever they will be there, and in that they will die. However, Jesus never claimed to be normal. The entire life and ministry of Jesus, he said he was different. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 16. We're going to read a few scriptures here this morning. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read a couple different passages here in this text. This is Jesus telling you who he is. And this is his word for you today as well, right? If you get this, you need to realize Jesus isn't like your family or your friends. He's not like your boss. He's not like you. He's abnormal gloriously. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And so he's asking them, Who do you think that I am? 
And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which was Peter. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, I want you to remember that right there. So Peter is confessing that Jesus is truly the Son of God, which would have meant that he was God, okay? Like, hold on to that, because we're going to come back to that here in a little bit. But then look at chapter 16, verse 21, a few verses down. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And so Jesus is like, I'm not a normal person. I'm not normal. You look at me through normal lenses, you're not going to understand me. I'm not like your family. I'm not like your friends. I'm not, I'm not like you. I'm, I'm different. I'm on a mission from God. I've come to die for the sins of the world, and I've come to be raised on the third day. He's telling you who he is and what he would do. And then in John 14, verses 6 through 7, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You see, the Resurrection Church tells us this this morning. Jesus is not normal because Jesus is God. You know, it's interesting. One of the common phrases in our world today is that all religions are the same, and all religions basically teach the same thing. And yet C.S. Lewis, a famous writer in the 20th century, just blows that argument out of the water in an amazing essay that I highly recommend you read. It's called, uh, What Are We to Make of Jesus Christ? And in it, he says, uh, people say all religions are the same, yet the problem with that is that Jesus is the only one who ever claimed to be God. Jesus is the only one who claimed to come from heaven. Jesus is the only one who said he was eternal. Jesus is the only way to die in the place of sinners. Jesus is the only one who said he would rise again. Jesus is the only one who said he had authority to lay his life down and to take it back up. They're not only not the same, they're radically different because Jesus is abnormal, gloriously, and radically different. And the resurrection is simply the fulfillment of this. And this isn't even just Christian talk. This isn't just like us saying this to make ourselves feel good about what we believe. C.S. Lewis points out that if you had gone to Buddha and said, are you Brahma, which would have been their, their, their divine, he would have said, you were delusional. Of course not. If you had gone to Socrates and asked, are you Zeus, he would have laughed at you. If you had gone to Muhammad and said, are you Allah, he would have said no. If you had gone to respected men in Judaism like Abraham or Moses, the people that, we, that they follow, and you asked them, are, are you God, they would say, no, we're not God. If you had gone to Confucius and said, are you God, he would have said no. If you had gone to Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, said, are you God, he would say no. I, I, I just, you know, kind of speak on his behalf. You see, the problem that we often have with Jesus, church, and Lewis points this out, is that Jesus was never regarded as a moral teacher, never claimed to be a moral teacher, and history doesn't show him to be a moral teacher. Jesus didn't even claim to be simply a spokesperson on God's behalf. He said he was literally the son of God. And so what this does in us, Lewis says, is it garners three basic reactions, hatred, terror, or adoration. He says, in no way, shape, or form, if you listen to the Gospels, 
if you hear about the resurrection, which, you know, it's funny, you can listen to the moral teachings, and then when it says he rises from the dead, that's when it gets serious, because all of a sudden, he's either God or he's not. This is either made up or it's true, right? This is the moment where all of a sudden everything changes. And so what happens in this moment is often we move to what what Lewis calls mild approval, right? Isn't that kind of what a lot of people think? They mildly approve of him. Jesus is all right. Jesus is my homeboy. That's like the, the phrase, right? Jesus is my friend. Jesus has my back. Jesus gives me good moral teachings for my life, keeps me in line. Jesus keeps my kids from going crazy, whatever it is, right? And yet the resurrection is like this fork in the road where it's like, um, okay, it can't just be about morality anymore. Either he rose and that's really good news for us, or he didn't. And it's all a sham. The resurrection is the moment where we have to go all in with Jesus or all out with Jesus. And what we believe is that Jesus is not normal because he is God. If you really believe this, it must change everything about you because you follow someone who can never let you down, who will always be with you, who will always protect you, who will always save you. If you believe in this, you believe in someone who has erased all of your wrongdoing, all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt, and you are invited with him to live a guilt-free life. And you don't need the approval of man, because in Christ and in faith in him, you have the approval of God, church, and that is all you will ever need in this life. You don't need anything else. You don't need a little bit more money. You don't need a little bit bigger house. You don't need this, you don't need that, because you are eternal and you are with God and he will forever give you everything. As it says in Psalm 16, with him is the fullness of joy. And yet I found something really interesting this week when I was preparing this. Turn with me back to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. We believe this, but I I think that if we look at the lives of the disciples, I think we see a slight problem. Luke 24, starting verse 36. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. So Jesus appears to his followers and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. I love that, right? I don't know if he was just like proving to them that he was truly in the flesh or he was just hungry, right? But I'm, I'm okay with either one of those translations. But I, I never noticed this before, actually, as I was reading this this week. You know, I've preached a few Easter sermons now. I've, I've never actually preached on this text. Um, something struck me when, when I read this. I put two things together that I'd never put together before, and I, I found it very helpful. It's interesting because in this moment, like... It, it's pretty clear in the Gospels that the disciples did not expect Jesus to be raised, or at the very least, they had a lot of doubts that he would rise. 
They didn't believe it was him. So if they, if they were even struggling to believe when they saw him, how much do you think they were believing that he was going to rise when they didn't see him? So they, they, they were disbelieving, they were doubting, they were afraid, they were hiding from the authorities. They, they didn't think he was going to rise. And yet th- this struck me as confusing because were these not the same people that literally watched Jesus turn water into wine? Like, it was water, but now it's wine. Miracle. Wow. Okay? I know you've heard a lot, but that's amazing. They saw him do this. Were these not the same people that watched Jesus heal the blind and give them sight before their very eyes? They saw him do that. Were these not the same people that that saw Jesus take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and miraculously multiply to feed 5,000 people? Did you read that in the Bible? They're there for that, right? They saw that. They knew it. They believed it. They trusted in that. Were these not the same people that watched Jesus calm the storm, okay, by speaking at it? That's awesome, okay? Like he, he spoke and the storm stopped. This is my per- favorite personal one, right? They saw him walk on water, okay? That's it. You walk on water, you're God, okay? That's, that's you know, check, right? Okay, that, that's amazing. He walked on water, defying physics. I mean, that's amazing. Were these not the same people that literally in... When they were trying to arrest Jesus and Peter having Jesus' back attacks one of the guards, cuts off his ear, were they not the ones that watched Jesus miraculously take the ear and put it back on the Roman guard? And lastly, were these not the same exact people, followers, that saw and knew that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead? They knew that. They saw that. They believed that. And yet there's this tension because you're like, wait, so if they saw that, if they knew that, how come all of a sudden in this text they begin to doubt? How come they didn't think that he was going to rise from the dead like he said he would? They, they, They saw he could walk on water, raise the dead, heal the blind, feed people miraculously, water into wine, calm the storm just by speaking at it. They saw all these things. And yet in this moment, they're afraid and they don't believe that Jesus is going to raise himself from the dead. And this seems unusual and this seems confusing until you look at your own life. You don't have to answer out loud, but right where you're at to yourself, I want to ask you a straight question. And in your soul, I want you to answer this for me. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Good job. Good answer. Good answer. I knew someone was going to answer out loud. Do you believe? Like, 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 like not like, what is, like, like in, do you believe that he rose from the dead? Do you believe that? And yet, think about this for me. What is it in your life that you don't have faith that Jesus will resurrect? Maybe you don't have faith that he'll resurrect your purity. 
because you'll always be addicted to lustful things. Maybe you don't believe that he can raise your cold, dead marriage. Maybe you don't believe that he'll ever raise you up out of the pit of despair and you'll just always be sad. I was struggling with this this week as I was thinking through this, and I'm like, man, like, for some reason, I don't, it doesn't all connect, you know? It doesn't, why doesn't it connect? Like, I, I, I really do believe he rose from the dead. Yeah, I'm looking at my life, and I'm thinking, and yet there's, like, I believe he rose, but I don't trust him with everything. I believe he could lay his life down and, and pick it up and say, I'm, I'm washed of my sins, and I can believe all that, and yet there's still something in me that feels that there are things in my life that will never get better, that I will never be healed of. You see, the disciples show us this tension between, between people who take Jesus seriously while at the same time not seriously enough. And my question to you this morning is, I know most of you probably take Jesus seriously, but where in your life do you need, do you need to take him more seriously? You believe that he rose, but do you believe what the Bible says about you that says that you will rise as well and that you are a new creation? If you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3 with me. I'm going to read three uh, quick scriptures right here for us. And um, these are amazing, right? And if we really see this, it changes everything, right? And this isn't just Pastor John trying to make his church feel good, right? This is in the Bible, God's word spoken over you this morning. You think you're down, you think you're defeated. Maybe you've forgotten that what God rises stays risen. Maybe you forgot that. If God raises something, it doesn't go back down. Jesus is not dying again. He is eternally forever risen. And the scriptures say the same thing about us. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 3. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of, on, that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're not normal. The goal of life is not to fit in, but to experience a holy life that God has for you. See his glory and respond with your life. Be raised with Christ. Turn with me if you have your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 now. Verses 4 through 6, if you have a Bible, I'm going to make you work for it this morning. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, one of my favorite passages of the scripture. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, you are new and you are raised. And the last one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, verses 16 through 17. I'll read it here. It says, from now on, Paul says, Therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. You see, Jesus was not normal. He was God. 
And we are not normal. We are the children of God. We are the children of God who live in light of the resurrection. And life is tough and it's a struggle, but we don't fear because we are raised with Christ. There is nothing we can't conquer. You see, this is a whole radical faith shift. It's like, yeah, I know I'm out of work. I got no job, but I'm a conqueror. I'm going to make this happen. God's going to provide for me. I don't know a lick about parenting, but I'm going to raise this child in the name of the Lord. I've never had a good marriage, but you know what? It's going to be good in the future. God's going to redeem this. You see, defeated thinking leads to a defeated life. And the problem is, is we don't believe what God says about us. We believe what Satan says about us. And that's the power of faith. You see, faith is a fortress for your soul. Faith is not, as Mark Twain famously said, believing what you know ain't so. That's not true. You see, Mark Twain, even he had faith, I'm sure. He probably thought he was a good writer. That's why he wrote. He might not have had faith in Jesus, but he had faith like everybody does. Everybody has faith. Everyone's banking on something. Faith is simply where your confidence is. That's what faith is. Faith is, this is what I'm leaning on. And so when we see the resurrection, and when it says, you will be saved if you believe that God raised him from the dead, what it says is that God is offering you a fortress for your soul. You see, faith keeps us focused on what is good, on what is true, and what will lead us in the life that God has for us. Because here's the thing, if Satan can control your faith, he can control your entire life. When people say, man, don't, don't worry about faith, don't think about that too much, you know, what they're saying is, yeah, I man, don't, don't dwell on hope too much, you know. You'd hate to live a life based on hope. The God, you know, d- don't waste your life thinking God loves you, you know. It's not going to help you. When they say, man, don't, don't worry about faith, they're saying, man, man don't, don't worry about the eternal promises and all that God has for you. Don't, don't worry about that. The problem is, is we believe the wrong things. I've shared kind of famously, um, there's a couple different stories I've shared recently in my own life of just like how sometimes we just believe dumb stuff, you know. Um, we just believe the wrong things. And uh, this is really humbling for me to admit this, but this is a true story. Um, I uh, was at the zoo with a friend when I was 19 years old. And uh, some of you know this story because I don't think I've ever shared a sermon. But I've, I've told you before. I was 19 years old at the zoo with a friend. And I made a remark, because we were looking at the lions and the tigers, and I, I, I made a remark about how all the lions were, were females. And my friend was like, well, well, how do you know they're all females? And I said, well, because, like, lions are the females and tigers are the males. And they were like, wait, whoa, whoa say it again. I'm like, no, 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 lions are females and the tigers are the males. And, and they were like, Oh my gosh, you're an idiot. <laughs> I lived my whole first 19 years of my life thinking that lions were guys and tigers were girls. I went to public school, so give me a break. You know, I, I, I got through, you know. I got street cred, but my education was a little, you know. But seriously, I, th- I full, full faith in that. Thought that. I think the mane threw me off, like I like long hair, like the mane on a lion, you know? And they were like, well, didn't you see Lion King? I was like, I didn't process Lion King too deeply. You know, I didn't, I didn't process, you know. Another one really quick, um, it's a true story. Um, 
I, I just had my, my first uh, child, my, my daughter, Molly, and I thought that whenever a baby was first born, um, I thought they could crawl immediately. <laughs> I truly thought that. I didn't know she was like a vegetable, you know, for like the first like <laughs> five or six months of her life. But I believed that with all my heart. And then I was like, wow, this is a lot more work than I thought because I got to move you everywhere, right? <laughs> It's like she moves by crying to let her know, oh, fine, I'll move you. You know, like, like that's how she does it. She just, like, sits on her back all day, you know. I just, you got to learn some stuff in life, you know. Like, you, you, don't, you don't just know that stuff. Faith is what you believe. Faith is what you trust. Faith is what you know. Faith is a fortress for your soul. And faith will be the biggest battle of your life. Because what you will believe is the most important thing about you. It will control your entire life. And faith is not believing in what you know ain't so. Faith is an invitation to put your hope, your confidence, your trust in the resurrection of Jesus and experience what comes with that. As we begin to draw to a close, um, I was running at this park um, that I'd grown up in a couple months ago. And they have like a, like a nice track there. And I was going for a jog. And as I finished, I sat on this bench. And, uh, you know, it's a place I'd sat, you know, my whole life. And I'd, I'd been there a lot growing up. And yeah, I noticed that there was something different. And uh, I noticed that there was like this thing that looked kind of like a maze. And, you know, I'm always intrigued by new stuff. So I walked over to it and started looking at it. And I was intrigued because... Um, it was a maze, but it was called a labyrinth, all right? Have you, have you ever heard of a labyrinth, right? Like a labyrinth, right? Yeah. And so, once again, public school, so I didn't know what a labyrinth was, you know? Um, and so I did what everybody does nowadays. I Googled on my phone, um, what is a labyrinth? And it was, it was really cool because um, a, a labyrinth is a lot like a maze, but with one massive difference and distinction, you see, a maze is an obstacle course, essentially, where you're walking through, and yet in a maze, it's pretty much designed to mislead you. A maze is designed to um, lead you uh, to a dead end, and as you go along, there's these moments where you can go forward, or you can turn right, or you can turn left. I mean, it's kind of meant to like, kind of make you afraid, because you're afraid you're going to do the wrong thing, go the wrong direction, and you're not going to end up at the end of the maze with the victory. You see, a maze is ultimately built to confuse you, and yet it was really cool. I was reading up on what a labyrinth is, and a labyrinth is like a maze, except the, the really big difference is that in a labyrinth, um, there's only one path. And a labyrinth is, is usually like a circle. I've got a picture up here of one, right? And uh, you see in the center, that's like the goal where you want to get to, right? And you see all the different paths or whatever. It looks really confusing, doesn't it, right? And it kind of looks overwhelming, and yet a labyrinth, unlike a maze, is basically a maze, but there's only one path you can go on, and you wind around. You don't walk right to the center, right? You walk all the way around. You walk all the way, but there's only one path. But the cool thing about a labyrinth is that if you follow the path, you're always guaranteed to end up in the center with the victory. And that's a lot how it's like when you have faith in Jesus. All of a sudden, your life goes from being a maze to a labyrinth. There is one path, 
and there's still storms in life, right? So you're still walking all around, right? I mean, it's, it's not clear. At the labyrinth of the park that I was at, like basically the reason why it's built is to kind of quiet your mind because we're always all stressed out, right? And the point is to, to learn how to walk a long journey, a long path, and, and it kind of reminds us that it takes a lot longer to get to the center than we often wish it would, but if you stay on the path, eventually you get there. It's been used all throughout Christian tradition as a way of slowing us down and reminding us that life is a journey, but it's a labyrinth. And that's what faith is, is faith is fixing your eyes on Jesus in light of the storms. Faith is where you anchor your ship. Faith is where you put down roots. Faith is where you say, this is what I'm rooted in regardless of what life brings me. Was not the life of Jesus a labyrinth? Came to die on the cross, be raised again, but on his winding journey was persecuted, insulted, abandoned by his closest followers, beaten, stripped, embarrassed, ultimately murdered on a cross. But then he rose. And faith in Jesus offers us the same thing. See, faith doesn't mean everything always makes sense. It doesn't mean you don't have storms in your life. Faith is the promise of God that if you will trust in the name of Jesus, that you will end up where God wants you now and forever. Before we close, we're going um, to watch a video. And... Uh, This is a powerful video because these are actually stories of people within our church, real people, on how Jesus has changed their life and ultimately changed their normal. And so let's watch that video at this time. See, we have a real risen Savior. When we look to him in faith, fixing our eyes on him, through the storms of life, he promises to guide you through and to guide you home. So may we have our eyes fixed eternally on the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be reminded that you're with us and to be reminded that you love us God, we forget that and we drift and we go our own way. And it's, it's a story as old as time. And yet what we're praying for right now in this moment, God, is that we would truly believe that our life is a labyrinth with you at the center, guiding us every step of the way, and that we're not on a maze, that, that in Christ there will be no dead end. Father, this is my prayer for these people and for myself, that we would fix our eyes on you in light of everything that is around us. I pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.